Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. I believe that anyone in leadership should be under leadership. And so you've heard from my pastor over the past several years how he's imparted wisdom to us and help us to become who we are. But but over the past year, I've I've had the honor and, and the privilege and, and actually the humility to be coached by uh, someone phenomenal. He, he's spoken on some of the largest church stages in the world, is coaching some of the, the, the pastors of the largest churches in America, and, and he's taken time to invest in me and my family and this church because he believes what God is doing here in this place. He's my coach. He kicks my butt in the best possible way. He encourages me like nobody else, and I am who I am today because of his leadership. And so I'm excited for the impartation he's going to bring to us today. So would you just rise to your feet right now and give God praise for my coach, Pastor Sean Lovejoy, as he brings God's word today. Love you, man. Good day. Thank you. Well, hello, local church. How are we doing? I didn't say sit down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can be seated. <laughs> Don't get in religious duty with me. We're going to talk about that today. My name's Sean Lovejoy. I'm so glad to be with you, and I just feel like I'm at home. Can I join today? Yes. Three of you agreed. Uh, I love this. I just feel like I'm with family today. And uh, you guys are living out what you seek to believe. I love your pastor. I'm the number one fan in his fan club, Jessica Second. And uh, I believe in him so much. Let me tell you something about your pastor because church is growing. You don't get to talk to him all the time. Uh, the, the, the needs and, and pulls on him in every direction. Let me tell you something. I've been with him backstage. I've been with him in his offices. I've been with him in the coffee shops and the restaurants. I've been with his wife. I've watched them how they parent their children. I can follow somebody that's the same on stage as they are backstage. How about you? He's a man of integrity. He loves his wife. He's faithful to her. And they're working it out together as ministry partners and marriage partners. And believe it or not, when you encourage him, you're not giving him the big head. He needs your encouragement. And so you don't always get to tell him what a difference God's made in your life because of him and his family. He'll get mad at me for bringing it up, but I want to give you an opportunity to praise God for him. Can we give it up for our family, our pastor? Love you, man. And I've told him what I'll tell you, okay? My prayer for the local church is that you guys would believe in yourself as much as I do. That you believe in yourself as much as God does because I believe he's about to blow the top off of this thing in the very best way. I mean, we've already seen phenomenal momentum and life change, but I think the best is ahead. Best is yet to come. Are you ready for it? Yes. I hope so. A few of you are in the front. I don't know back there. I'm, I'm going to try to help with that um, today. First, my family. I come representing my family. I come representing the great state of Alabama today, um, and we're 48th on every national list. Thank God for Mississippi and Louisiana. And I'm proud of my heritage. I'm a Roll Tide fan. Any college football fans? Yeah, haters. Haters. Hurricane haters uh, in, in the house today. Um, this is my family, my wife of 29 years, okay? 
um, um, this month, next, in August, 29 years. And then the middle one right there is, is my oldest, Hannah, who's 24 now. She's married. She gave us our first grandchild. I'm a grandfather. Yeah. Her name is Color. Very millennial name. It, the word color means to reflect light. And that's why they chose that name. And then Madison is on the right and she's sitting on the front row with me right over here. Can you guys welcome my daughter Madison in the house? She's 19 and still wants to hang out with her dad. It's a miracle. And uh, we went down to Miami and hung out some yesterday. First time, her first trip to Miami. And uh, we had a great time. And then uh, she just finished her freshman year at Auburn University, made the dean's list, takes after her mother for sure. And then my son, Paul, is on the left. Um, he'll be 18 next month, and he and I are getting certified uh, in scuba diving uh, next month. We've been taking scuba lessons. So that's my family. That's who I'm here to represent. I'm a human being. I'm not just a speaker and a writer and an author. I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. All of us here have one thing in common right now, the fact that you're here. It seems so far we've outlived and lived through a global pandemic, right? We know people that have not been as fortunate. It's been crazy. Y'all know it's been crazy out there? And in the midst of the last couple of years, it's almost like a vortex. Does anybody else have this feeling like, I can't even keep time. I can't remember how much time's passed. Like, I can't tell if it was two years ago, four years ago. Is the pandemic like eight years old now? You know, it, it's kind of hard to tell. Anybody else feel that? It, it, it's, it's flown by, but it seems forever ago. We didn't, had never heard the word COVID. But in the meantime, some other things that are just as contagious and I believe more dangerous have revealed themselves. Things like negativity and disunity and political tensions, and racial tensions, and anger, and hate, and gossip, division. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. There's a lot of bad news out there, a lot of negativity out there, and it'll bring you down if you're not careful. And so I just thought it'd be good to start a movement right here at the local church in Davie, Florida today. I'm calling it the Positively Contagious Movement. Anybody interested? I'd like to start it right here and let it spill out of this room. Now, now, candidly, I didn't start it. A guy came along some time ago and founded this movement. His name was Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he comes on the scene preaching and teaching the gospel. The gospel means good news. Now, what's ironic about Jesus' sermons is that when he comes on the scene, he's really not teaching New messages, new sermons. The Bible says he was teaching out of the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament back then. The New Testament was about him. So he's teaching out of the law, the Old Testament, just like the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders were. In fact, his first sermon, Mark chapter three, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Well, that wasn't a new sermon in case you don't know. He was preaching a message that Jeremiah had preached hundreds of years before in the Old Testament. The, and the religious leaders had been giving that same sermon. He's later teaching and all the religious leaders are there and they're listening and they're, they're trying to put Jesus on the spot. They're trying to trick him. And they said, Jesus, what's the most important command? Hoping to trap him. Is it do not murder? Is it do not kill? Is it do not commit adultery? You know, what's the most important command? And Jesus, got, Jesus goes, love God with all your heart, 
Love your neighbors yourself. You get those right. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. But what some of you don't know is that was almost a direct quotation from the book of Exodus. Moses had preached that same sermon. He had given it as a prelude to the Ten Commandments. He's like, hey, if you don't remember the Ten, if you don't remember all this stuff in the book of Leviticus, okay, just get these first two right and everything else will be all right. And so Jesus is really not teaching any new sermons early on in this ministry. And yet the Bible records and historians tell us that when Jesus came on the scene, thousands of people began to leave the teachings of the Pharisees and the scribes and flock to Jesus' sermons instead. Now keep this in mind, they're teaching out of the same book. And 2,000 years later, it's a dynamic I watch happen in Christian churches. People in droves leaving this church and flocking to the teachings in this church when they're teaching out of the same book. Why? How does this happen? I think I have the answer to that. Anybody interested? Matthew chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to put the reference on the screen. The Bible tells us what the special sauce of Jesus' movement, this positively contagious movement was from the beginning. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, when he was finishing up his sermon, like I will today, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he told good jokes. No, that's actually not what it says. (laughs) They were amazed at his teaching because he thoroughly explained the Hebrew meaning of all of his words. No, that's not what it says. It says, they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had, what's the next word? Authority. Remember that word. Authority. And then the Bible even further draws distinction. Not as the teachers of the law. Are you following this? So Jesus is teaching out of the Old Testament the law just like the Pharisees are. But there was something different about Jesus when he spoke about God's word. When he spoke about falling in love with God. When he talked about loving your neighbor as yourself, there was something about the tone of his voice. There was something about the look in his eyes. There was something about his body language. I think Jesus sat up on the edge of the rock. And they're like, this man might be crazy, but he believes what he's saying. It was divine urgency. There was a conviction. There was a moral authority. There's not a dichotomy between what he said and the way he lived. See, what Jesus, Jesus was positively contagious because of his passion. He was a very passionate man. And people were attracted and magnetic, not because of what he said, but because of how he lived and how he carried the gospel in his life and in his life message. And the word Christian, of course, today... Some of you guys know this. Some of you may not know this. The word Christian in the Greek is literally translated little Christ. So to be a Christian is to seek to be a reflection of, to bring glory to Christ in our everyday lives. But if we think of passion as being the the primary distinction of Jesus' life and ministry, where's the passion today? Passion seems to be missing from so many Christians' lives. Passion seems to be missing from so many churches. Experts tell us, by the way, in case you don't know this, roughly 85% of all Christian churches in North America are plateaued or declining in attendance. They're not experiencing what you're experiencing. And that's pre-COVID. 
okay? Why is the gospel message fading in our country, okay? I actually know why people are turned off on church. It's not our message. It's not what we teach. It's how we live and how we breathe the gospel. I travel. I speak in a lot of these churches. I stand on their stages. I look out over the crowd while I'm teaching and I'm like, I see dead people. I see one right back there. No, I'm just kidding. I see a bunch of zombies. People just sort of wandering. Got to go to church. Go to church. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't. There's no passion. Walking dead. You been in one of those churches before? We have a passion problem in the American church. But if we're honest, we have a passion problem in our heart. We have a passion problem in our mind. We've kind of gotten over, we've gotten inoculated, we've been vaccinated from the good news. And it's not affecting us. And it's not affecting other people positively around us. You ever, you you know some people like, you hope they go to heaven, but. (laughs) Like if they make it, you don't want their mansion on your street. (laughs) Come on, don't be pious with me. You're thinking of somebody right now, aren't you? If you can't think of somebody, you may be that person. Okay. They're that person. Like if you see them in public before they see you. Come on now. You duck into the watermelons or something. Think, think about that person, okay, in your life right now. What, what, do, what do those t- type of people tend, I call them energy vampires. Just suck the life out of you. What do they all have in common? I'll tell you, they're negative, self-absorbed people. We'll talk about all the bad news in their lives, in our world. I don't know what's happening to our world. It's just terrible. Just terrible. It's just bad. It's just bad. It's just bad. It's just bad. bad. Now we'll tell you about all the terrible things going on in their lives, all the terrible things in the world. And those are the kind of people that kind of turn us off. I don't want you to be that person. I want your faith to be magnetic, attractive. I want people to ask you the reason for the hope that you have. So right here, Today, I'm founding the Positively Contagious Movement, and I'm asking you to join. In fact, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to join. I'm going to give you three ways you can fuel this movement along with me and take back the message of Christ in your life. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Look at it. John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief, he's talking about Satan here, the thief comes to steal kill and destroy. And I would say our passion, our joy, our purpose in life. But I have come that they may have, what's the next word? Life. That word life means vitality. That they may have life and have it to the full. So the question I want all of us to sort of wrestle with today, to personalize, okay? Okay is this. 
for those of us who follow Jesus, if I was the only exposure to Jesus someone had, would they want to catch what I have? If I was the only exposure to Jesus someone had, and you are, by the way, would they want to catch what I have? Pastor Eric, when I was a pastor, I'd be standing out in the lobby after a message and someone would walk up to me and say, Sean, pray for me. You know, I, I, I'm struggling. You know, I, I, I pray, for, pray that God will give me more Christian friends. Surround me with Christian friends at work. I'm like, well, brother, sister, I'll pray for you. But like church is the place where God surrounds us with other Christians. Like, I want to pray for you that God will surround you by pagans at work. People that don't believe or behave anything like you. Because where it's darkest, you have the greatest opportunity to shine. I want you to have some Christian friends here. It's really, really important to have that kind of courage. But then if it's dark where you are, you have your greatest opportunity to shine. Greatest opportunity for impact. Greatest opportunity for what I call E-R-O-I. Eternal return on investment. Of our time. And how we invest our lives. And that's what I want for you. So three ways you can be a part of the positively contagious movement. All right, number one, be positive. Just be positive. And if it's not positive, just don't give lip service to it. Don't give time and energy to it. Be positive. Be a bearer of good news. This is the movement Jesus started. Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the what? The good news of God. The good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the what? The good news. The central core message of Jesus Christ is good news. Religious people, bad news. Rules, rituals. Go through the motion. Try to be a good person. Try to keep the law. Try to be, let the good outweigh the bad. Jesus comes along and says, you can't be good enough. Give up. But the great news is you don't have to be good enough. The church really can be full of imperfect people because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Don't ever get over that. Don't ever become inoculated or vaccinated from that. Don't you remember how Jesus changed you, Christ followers? Don't you remember what a loser you were? Don't you remember how broken and addicted you were? How hopeless you were? When Jesus came into your life, what has he done for you? Does the world know it? Does your face show it? Does it show good news? Does it reveal good news? How many of you have won an argument on social media anyway? Right? You're not, I, I, I've never met a person, Pastor Eric, walk up to me and say, you know, Sean, I really came to faith when I lost that argument on Facebook. <laughs> Not one person all these years. I've had thousands walk up to me with another brand new Christian beside them that really doesn't know much about the Bible. And they say, I gave my faith to Jesus because Brenda right here. Brenda been a Christian about two days, two weeks. Doesn't really understand the Bible. Doesn't know the Bible. Doesn't have all her morality cleaned up. But she's shining for Jesus Christ now <laughs> telling everybody she can possibly about it. She can't help but tell people about Jesus. Because Jesus changed her life. See, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about everything up here. It's, it's our heart. It's our face. It's passion. It's passion. It's good news. 
Jesus said, John 15, 11, he said, I've told you this. I've taught you everything I've taught you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So one of the defining characteristics of a Christ follower is to be a life of joy. And I like to say joy is a fruit of the spirit, not a fruit of our circumstance. Because well, you don't know my boss. You don't know my wife. You don't know my kid, little devils. You know. No, joy is a choice. And joy is a fruit of what Christ, his Holy Spirit is doing in us. So if we like joy, we, we can't blame the external circumstances. Listen, we can only blame a pandemic so long. Right now, it's time for Christianities to let joy come from the inside and reveal that joy to the world. Are you with me? To be positive. To be positive. Listen, I've read the end of the book. We win. Okay? (laughs) And I don't care what your political persuasion is, the Lord is not up there on his throne saying, boy, I I don't know what I'm going to do with America now. Oh, Lord, it's terrible. I don't know what things are coming to. No, he's in charge. He's on his throne. And he's working in and through the church. And he wants to bring revival to the church in America, I believe. And he wants to use us. I believe that. I believe that. When we work with companies, we have a framework we call the gears of growth. It's what makes up a healthy church. It's what makes up a healthy company, by the way. It's culture, healthy culture, healthy team, healthy systems. We have a coaching framework that we coach on. I was a, I was a real estate developer turned church planter, turned megachurch pastor, started coaching pastors and churches, ended up, you know, consulting with companies and realized over time, like I'm a pretty good megachurch pastor, but I'm even better in boardrooms and coffee shops with executives in the church and the marketplace. So we made the second scariest decision we ever made eight years ago to hand off our church, go all in with the organization we'd really started as a side hustle called Courage to Lead. It takes courage to lead. And what we found both in the ministry and the marketplace is that it's not the product, it's not the strategy, it's not the message that makes a church or a business attractive. It's a culture. It's a place that's fun and fulfilling and satisfying and whose recruitment, current best recruitment tool is the current employees or the current church members. Then they have a highly aligned, highly cohesive, unified, high capacity leadership team and they have simple systems that they can scale over time. Where did I get this idea? This really cool book. You ought to write this down. It's called the Bible. (laughs) This is Acts chapter two. Okay. What did the early church have going for them? It wasn't theological knowledge. Okay. They didn't even have video screens. Okay. What did they have going for them? They had such a magnetic culture and intimacy with each other. They called it koinonia. That people from different races were calling each other brother and sister. And the watching world was drawn to it. They had a high capacity team. We, sometimes we, do, we don't give the disciples enough credit. You know, we say, well, Simon was just a fisherman. But evidently, Peter could preach. I mean, he preaches his first message and 3,000 people get saved. Did that happen in your first sermon, Eric? Mine either. Okay. 
So Jesus picked some guys who were maybe diamonds in the rough, rough around the edges, but they had talent. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, a lot of impact. And then simple, 3,000 people got saved in the church in one day. And they were just automatically, everybody knew what their next spiritual step was. It wasn't complicated. 3,000 people, I ask pastors all the time, could 3,000 people join your church this Sunday? Would they know what to do? Would they know where to go? Would it be too complicated? See, religion makes things complicated. Jesus makes things simple. That's good news, is it not? But I want to talk about culture for a minute. Because we all have to own that here at the local church. It's not just set by our pastor. It's set by you. Okay? In this service, this is the middle service. This is like the middle of the, of the morning of all the three services here on Sunday. I promise you, someone has invited someone this week to the local church. And there's a person. There's a family I'm speaking to right now. They're in this room and they've decided to give Jesus and the church one more shot this Sunday. And they're sitting in this room. Don't look around right now. They might be sitting on your road. Don't look, don't look, don't, don't look. Okay? The, the, the convicting question I have for you. Experts tell us that most people make up their mind to come back to church a second time before the message even starts. The major impact on their decision, the friendliness and the passion of the people around them in their section and where they sit. So if you call the local church home and they came in and they watched you worship this morning, they watched you participate, they've watched how you interrelated with your family in the margins, are they drawn to this church? So we have to be the culture we want to build. We have to be the culture we want to build. And this translates into our work. If you, if you want your work environment to be a fun place to work, the question you've got to ask yourself is, am I a fun person? Or am I a prune? If we want our family to be a family of faith and hope, do I live that way? Do I breathe that way? Or do I come home and just dump and kick the dog and tell everybody how awful it was and what a terrible day I had? It's, it's setting that culture to be, to be positive. So be positive today. Look at somebody right now and just say, be positive. Be positive, all right? Second way to fuel the positively contagious movement, be inspiring, be inspiring. Don't discount yourself and discredit yourself from that. God has this pattern of being an inspiring God in Scripture. He's not standing up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike us. He's for us. He's with us. He's calling out the best in us. God comes to Abram, who has no children, and says, you're Abraham, the father of many nations. He comes to Jacob, the deceiver, and says, Jacob, you're going to be Israel, my chosen people. You're going you're to be the father of my chosen people. Later, Jesus comes along and says, Simon, you're just a fisherman who's going to deny me. You're going to bail on me when it gets hard. But I'm naming you right now Petros, which means Peter, which means the rock. The kind of people, the imperfect people I'm going to build my church on. Later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he knocks Saul, the persecutor of Christians, off of his horse. And he says, you're going to be Paul, the messenger of the Gentiles. Saul's like, I don't even know a Gentile. He's like, you just wait. You just wait. And I'm telling you right now, God sees things in you. He sees potential in you. The best thing you can do to reflect the glory of God is to look for things in people and call it out in advance. Reflect the glory of God. Tell them what a, they're doing a great job. Only embarrass publicly, positively. I tell leaders all the time. 
I embarrassed Marin this morning on the stage. The, the worship leader, the female vocal leader. On the, do you know how old she is? 17 years old. I went backstage. I said, Marin, I just watched them practice this morning. I'm like, Marin, you, you don't know, girl. Like, I travel in churches all over America. Like, you are gifted. You are anointed. Like, you, God's hands on you. And I'm always calling out things in my kids. I've told my daughter, like, I either think you're going to be the next first, the first female president of the United States or mega church pastor or, or the like, but I just believe you're going to change the world. Don't I tell you that all the time? Yeah, it's a little pressure on her, but I'll take that versus saying you're a loser. You don't know anything. You're not good at anything. You're dumb. You'll never amount to anything. No, 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 no. I believe in you. I'm telling this man right now all the time. I'll text him. I'll call him. I believe in you. I want you to believe in yourself as much as God believes in you. Be that for people. You be that at work. Man, you'll constantly be having to pick people up from fainting. Because it's so alien in our culture. Is it not? Yes. You'll stick out. And they'll ask you, like, what makes you tick, man? What's wrong with you, girl? What you own? You're like, well, I, since you asked, I've been going to this church to change my life. I met a different kind of Jesus than what I thought existed. And I, I can't help it. Positively contagious. Be inspiring. Why do we come to church? Think about it. So we can sing songs? I don't think so. You can sing in the shower. I sound better in the shower. Anybody else sing in the shower? You can watch the messages online, but I'm telling you, there's no substitute for being in God's house. Amen? Amen. Worshiping with other believers. Amen. Why do we assemble together? Why is it important? It's not my opinion, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us consider. I means give some thought to this as you worship together. How you may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging one another. So all of a sudden our posture changes. We're not here just to consume music and a message. We're here to be an instrument of encouragement this week. To lift one another up. To find somebody we don't know and say, I don't believe we've met before. And introduce ourselves to be a hope giver. A hope dealer. On Sundays and between Sundays. It's so important. Jesus inspired people and it's our call to do the same. So who, who do you need to encourage this week? Maybe it's a text, a phone call, a letter. How do you need to encourage people this week? Don't be afraid of giving them the big head. Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A, said no one ever died from too much encouragement. And they won't either. Start it today at lunch. Let it blow out and infect your family and your cul-de-sac and the neighborhood and our our state and our world. And then number three, if you want to be part of the positively contagious movement, be zealous. Be zealous. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, the apostle Paul says, never be lacking in zeal. That word zeal is literally translated enthusiasm. Never be lacking as a follower. This is a letter written to the church. Never be lacking in enthusiasm, but keep your spiritual fervor. That word fervor is like intensity or energy. Serving the Lord. N notice he says never. That means at church and at work. That means at church and at school. 
That means at church and at home. Never be lacking in zeal. I love the way the English Standard Version translates that verse. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. You ever seen a sloth? Just hanging out. Got to go to work eventually. Don't want to go. Oh, we can just make it to Friday. Get my paycheck. I'm out of here. Just do my thing. Just, just go to work. You know, come to my church. Takers. There's two types of people in the world. You probably heard this. Thermometers or thermostats. A thermometer just reflects the temperature in the room. Thermostat, pow, sets it. Be a thermostat. Man, at work, I think Christ followers ought to bring the energy, ought to bring the enthusiasm. We ought to bring the work ethic. We ought to whistle while we work. And, and, and make people wonder what in the world's gotten into us. When we come home, not come home dead, tired, and angry, and kick the dog, and you know, this, that, and the other, but, but, but to celebrate, to walk in the door with enthusiasm about what God's done in our day. I had a friend coach tell me one time, he said, you can give your family the Empire Strikes version, just come back and give them the Return of the Jedi version too. <laughs> be inspiring, be positive, be zealous. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about doing for a living, students. Don't over-mysticize it. Don't let, it paral don't let the future paralyze you. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do or say, wherever you work, wherever you go, wherever you live, wherever you, whatever you find yourself doing, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, what you're going to do for a living. It doesn't matter whether you work now or whether you don't work, outside the home or inside the home. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Be positive. Be inspiring. Be zealous. Do it for the glory of God. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when people ask you, like, what, what, what's gotten into you? Well, your, your, your different things have changed. Like, hey, come check it out. Jesus is changing my life. I can't even explain it all. I don't have all the theological answers. But you come to this Blockbuster series and check it out. We're going to study some of the giants of our faith. Maybe, maybe it'll get on you like it's gotten in me. And I'm telling you, you, you've never sat through a worship service more tentative, more apprehensive, but more joyful when somebody who doesn't believe or behave is sitting beside you. Everything changes. You're praying for Eric like never before. <laughs> that he doesn't blow it. And you're a stakeholder in this thing. And the next Sunday, you realize the power when you get out of the car, you may be opening car doors next to somebody who's giving Jesus and the church another shot. And then you're in greeting time. You're not just looking for familiar faces. You're looking for a person to be salt and light. And then when you go to work, you're not looking for light. You're looking for dark. And all of a sudden, your life is positively contagious. And I'm telling you, if this church will take on that desire, the gates of hell won't prevail against this church. Amen. You'll be the talk of South Florida in the very best way and your life will matter.
So I'm asking you right here, right now, I'm kind of putting you on the spot. If you're a follower of Jesus and you'd like to join this movement today, to be more positively contagious with your life, I'm just going to ask you to stand. Would you just stand? There's one, two, three, seven, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 89. You see this? Look around the room. Okay. Hey, it started with 12. It started with 12, became a few hundred. Think what Christ can do this week in this community if the people in this room take seriously their faith. And maybe you're here today, you've never invited Christ to come into your life to be your Savior and Lord. He'll do that for you. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to know enough. You just have to believe He can change your life. Invite Him into your life to be your Savior and Lord today when we pray together. Let's pray together and let's offer Him our lives. Lord Jesus, today it's our desire to restore, to renew this movement you came to found. Lord, sorry we get distracted. Sorry we get confused. Sorry we get angry. Sorry we get focused building our kingdom instead of yours. Today, Lord, it's your kingdom. It's your will be done. Flood our lives. Flood our hearts. Flood our minds. Make us different. Bring us back to our first love. Fill us with joy. Fill us with passion. And make us different because we are your church. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.